Would you rather talk about your sex life or money life? Surprisingly, most people would rather not talk about money, how to save it or invest it. This podcast is about helping you simplify your money life. Delivered by Dr. Henry Joseph Sveck, a psychologist by training, Henry is a seasoned investor with over 40 years of successful investing in real estate, stocks and other alternate forms of income generation. Tune in to the twice-monthly podcasts to get his thoughts and tips on how to reach financial freedom. How to achieve the life you deserve. Now, here's Dr. Speck. Welcome to podcast number three. This week I want to talk to you a little bit as a follow-up to my last podcast where I talked about buying that duplex at 53 Grand Avenue East in Chatham, Ontario. It's also going to bring up some issues about working with agents. I'll talk about that, real estate agents. And I also want to talk to you about a few terms that we use in real estate that when it comes to investing, you need to understand. So let's go back to our example. So in that example, the, the property was being sold for 114900 That's what it was listed for. And, and remember, when you're investing in real estate, the price that it's listed at has nothing to do with the value. The value is what someone will pay for that asset. In this case, I suggested to you, you might pick it up for less than 95000 probably a significant amount less. The mistake we made, and, and this would have come out in the due diligence, is that the taxes we recommended or I estimated to be $1,200 or $100 per month. Now hold on to your, your, your seats and hold on to your hats right now because this is Chatham, Kent, Ontario, where municipal taxes are insanely out of touch with reality. The agent finally emailed me back and told me that the actual taxes on that property, get this, over $3,000 on an impact value of probably 78 to 80. And, and the agent didn't provide any details, just gave me that number. And, and he said that's what the taxes were. Now think about this for a minute. On a purchase price of $95,000, that's like a 4% mortgage forever on that property to pay uh, municipal taxes. Absolute insanity. What I'm going to do in the next show, in the next podcast, is talk about a property in Nova Scotia and do a comparison, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So property value in the neighborhood of $90,000 or less, taxes over $3,000. Now, the reason they say it's so high is because the first floor is already zoned commercial. The second floor is zoned residential. But it that makes no sense because it's not located in an actual commercial area. It's, it's, it's not being used for that purpose. But in this municipality, that's how things are taxed. So in looking at those numbers, if I were uh, you know, looking to invest in that property or advising a young person or someone wanting to get into this type of investing, I'd simply say don't even bother. Walk away. Um, look for something that's strictly residential. And in this community, it's going to be very difficult because municipal taxes are unbelievably insane. And that's why, generally speaking, unless we have to, myself, um, we do not invest in this community. It's the one thing that's holding back development and the ability of people to move forward and young people to invest unless we can find a very special situation. We'll talk about those in future podcasts. So let's talk about the psychology of saving. You know, we, we hear daily how most of us don't have even $1,000 in an emergency account to save in case something goes wrong. You know, your your car or, or something happens in your home. 
or, or where you're living. You just need personal money to do something in an emergency basis. We don't save. Now, here's an interesting thing I learned the other day. Most of us remember 7-Elevens. We don't have too many left in my community here, but apparently there's some 9,000 or so in the United States. And here's the story of, of what happened uh, to the majority of the uh, franchises at 7-Eleven. Initially, when immigrants would come from other countries, primarily India, for example, as discussed in, in an article that I read, they would be attracted to these jobs in, in the retail sector and work at 7-Elevens as introductory workers. They would come in and they would be paid minimum wage and they would work as many hours as they could get. And over that period of time, they started to save. They would save and eventually started buying franchises. The majority of 7-Eleven franchises at their peak were owned by first-generation Americans or Canadians. They would then send news home that they would provide jobs for other family members or others in their community who would come to uh, the United States or Canada and do the same, work for them. They would save money. Now, these are minimum wage jobs. Remember, many of these people are working in excess of 70, 80. We, we talk about side hustles where people work full-time and then work for a few hours at, at some other job or perhaps they're working to start their own business, which is great. But I'm just talking right now about the tenacity and the hard work of these folks to save up the money to become business owners. And how did they do that? Well, they had very strict discipline, very strict discipline in what they do with their money. And here's some things I want you to think about. I don't expect you to do that. But what you need to think about is how to set up an automatic savings where before you even think about it, the money is taken from your income and taken from your pay and very quickly it is then transferred over to another account it could be a savings investment um, you may put it in a savings account so you have one or two thousand dollars built up and then you move it over to your tax-free savings account whatever it may be you have it done automatically I suggest 10 percent to start you will notice very quickly that you will adjust your spending based on what you have available. I believe in this technique as opposed to starting with a, a number and saying you're putting yourself on a bed, budget. You're an adult. The, psycho the difficult part to this is if we don't develop a routine and a, if we have to think about it every month, it's not going to happen. We as humans, generally speaking, don't like to think about things like this like money, like saving. So every time we bring it up, if we had to do it every pay period or um, two or three times a month or maybe once a month even, it's going to cause a sense of psychological pain. It's not something we want to do. So make it painless by making it automatic. If you look at the, <clears throat> excuse me, the fire movement that I talk about in the book, Mr. Money Mustache and others like, with his sort of background, what they really want to be doing is saving a significant amount of money, in, in some cases 50-60%. Or if two people are working in a home, what they will do is save one of the salaries. Now what will happen if you go ahead and do that is that you will suddenly adjust your spending. You will, you will realize that there's no more money for certain things. And you'll start to develop habits that are consistent with that, that fact. Now, again, if you start at 
move to 20, perhaps 30, and push it as far as you can if you're in the savings mode and need to save for that upcoming per- purchase. So it's about making it automatic. The day you get paid or the day you have, um, if you own your own business on a, on a regular periodic basis, have money taken out. And that should go towards your investment savings account once you build up a sense of an emergency fund. Now, now different professionals have talked about emergency funds. I know um, Mr. Money Mustache. I know that Dave Ramsey, who I've listened to his podcast forever, talks about three, four, five months of, of income. And if you build up that type of emergency fund, that should stay in cash because cash is liquid and something that you will need. Uh, you know, you want to be buying stocks with that or real estate because it takes a great deal of time to get that money back out. Some of the terms I wanted to talk about today, and, and it, so that's the issue of savings. Please go on our Facebook page if you have questions about savings or wonder um, uh, of, of other topics you want me to address here. Let, let's get to the issue of back, to, and I'm really stuck on this 53 Grand Avenue East property in Chatham, Ontario. I'm going to go through a few terms with you, and, and I want you to try to remember these and uh, you know get a pen out and write them down if you're, if you're interested in, in pursuing the issue of of real estate investing is part of the solid rock of your portfolio. The, the first has to do with what's called a cap rate. Now, I learned this very early that when I asked many agents on properties, what's the cap rate, they would give me that blank stare and sort of, you know, wonder what I was talking about. And a cap rate is a very simple thing to calculate. If you purchase a building, let's use $100,000 because it's easier to um, do the math for me and perhaps yourself. On a $100,000 building, after you pay every expense, uh, with the exception of financing, how much money are you getting back? Let's assume on a $100,000 property, after you pay all your bills except for your mortgage payment, you have $4,000 left. Now remember, you're not paying the mortgage out of that. This is just strictly a number we're calculating. All your expenses minus all the money you have coming in, so you subtract the two out, and you end up with $4,000 in this case, that would be a cap rate on a $100,000 purchase of four. So it's no different than if you put a $100,000 GIC in a bank account at 4%, after one year you're going to have $4,000, because that's the interest rate at 4%. So that's a cap rate of four. Now, that's not real great, because you're taking a lot of risk. That's assuming, now, if you say to me, well, that's, you know, was it full all the time, the duplex? Were there were there any other costs? Do we have to fix up things? How, you know, so that could easily get eroded down to zero. And on top of that, you're going to add your, your payments of interest. Now, that's different than a cap rate. So the cap rate, just to summarize, is the straight calculation of the amount of money you return when all your expenses are paid with the exception of your financing divided by the purchase price which gets you that percentage in this case a cap rate of four cash flow is a separate thing you need to remember very important when looking at properties very important when you're looking at properties for example in Toronto or any any community but to stay out of trouble this is a huge issue so let's assume for a minute 
that our cap rate is is four. So we're getting four thousand dollars back on this building in uh, in Chatham, Ontario. As we've determined, the mortgage payments are approximately four hundred and seventy eight dollars a month, or in excess of five thousand dollars per year. I don't have well I can do I can do the the math for you if you'd like but I think uh, you, you get where I'm going with this let's do it for fun so we're at 478 and you can hear I've just pulled up my calculator times 12 equals so it's actually five thousand seven hundred and thirty six dollars so you're going to be needing to put in one thousand seven hundred thirty six dollars from some other source to make your payments and keep this place going, assuming it, it has the same year next year as it had this year. So you're feeding it, as we would call it. Now, part of that mortgage payment is principal. If you take the interest out of there, that will tell you exactly what the costs are. But please remember, this is not a good property if those are the straight-up numbers. If your cash flow is is less than you have coming in, it's not considered an investment. Now, some people would say, well, it's a great investment because you're buying it for you know for so, such a low price and someday the price will go up. Well, there's no guarantee that the price will go up. What we do know if there's cash flow is, assuming that a lot of our variables stay the same, you're going to continue to collect revenue regardless of what happens to the value of that building. And this makes me turn to, and we're, we're only going to focus on, there, there are many formulas we, we use that we'll learn over time as we, as we talk and work together. Cap rate and cash flow is what we're going to talk about today. So let's look at what's happening in Toronto. I told you that I had sent um, an email to someone, a, a realtor, about a tripex that was for sale. Let's assume it's for approximately $975,000. Well, probably easier to assume it's a million because that's easier for our math. Now, on a million dollars, I was told that this triplex brings in approximately $60,000 a year gross. That's before any expenses are deducted. When you deduct all the expenses that we know of so far, and, and by the way, this is frustrating because when you talk to an agent, this agent, very young agent, really doesn't have a clue and doesn't understand even the questions I was asking about the property. For example, what are market rent rates in the area? Um, that was about three minutes. Finally, I got frustrated. I just gave up. I said, well, I'm not going to keep educating this person about what we need because it's, it's clearly an investment property. It's being advertised as a triplex. We get it down to, if you're lucky, there's $10,000 left. $10,000 left after you subtract the expenses. So on a million-dollar investment, you're getting $10,000, and that would be 1% return. Now, that's the cap rate. Now, think to yourself, is that a great return, not to mention the risk involved? No. But let's take it to the next level. Let's talk about the cash flow. On a million-dollar investment, let's assume that everyone you know loans you money or gives you money, and you're now having a $750,000 mortgage on that property. It's a triplex. 
And let's assume the interest rate is about the same as our property in Blenheim, because it would be. Or sorry, Chatham Kent. I live in Blenheim, but let's assume it's the same. So your interest would be $28,125. But you're only you're only getting $10,000. Leaving a deficit of about $18,000. So not only is it a cap rate of 1, it's a significantly negative cash flow situation. It's a horrible investment. It's a horrible investment. But then you ask yourself, okay, what's a good investment? So what would be the price? Because it's all about the price. In that case, and if you look at Toronto and you look at other markets, in most cases, that's the type of situation you're talking about. And everybody buys these properties thinking, well, they're going to go up. This is, it has nothing, it's going to go up. There's no reason it's going up every year. Well, that's not true because this million dollar triplex could be worth three, four $400,000. Because when you do the numbers, that's what it's worth. Now, you would argue and say, well, that's pretty conservative, but it's based on income. It's an investment. And, of course, if you can't get it for that, you wouldn't buy it. Back to our property on King Street, now that we've discovered that the uh, taxes on the first floor, because it's commercial, the taxes for the building are over $3,000, what would be the value? Well, you'd have to subtract that difference of $200, which in my mind means that property is worth fifty-eight thousand dollars they're asking 114 well good for them for me and 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 you're going to learn this over time as we work together because you want to invest in properties that are investments that provide you with an adequate return given the risk given all the other factors in this case it's a fifty-eight thousand dollar building now are most people going to take that if they're listing their property for 114.9 no they're not well, it depends on why they're selling. I've had that happen many times. That's why you'll have to offer 10 times over time before you finally get an offer accepted. Because that's ridiculous. 114.9 for something that has a tax base like that in a location, C-class building, not going to happen. So, two things I want you to remember. Cap rate, which is the, the calculation of how much money you're returning to yourself after you pay all your bills on the investment, the real estate investment, divided by the purchase price, and cash flow, the amount of money you have left over when you pay everything, and that includes the mortgage and everything, just the amount of cash you have coming in every month in excess of all your expenses and, and payments. Now, you obviously want to purchase cash flow properties. Cash flow is also impacted by your down payment. So, if you were to pay all of the hundred thousand, let's say you saved up for ten years and you you had all the money and you bought that property for a hundred thousand dollars, you rented it out, your cash flow would be four thousand dollars because you have no mortgage payment in our calculation. So there, it's a balance between down payment and cash flow and cap rate. Now remember that. Um, what we encourage, and, and if you read my book, you'll know what happened in that book, that most people will put down a, a down payment. Uh, but when you start out, if you're a young millennial and you're wondering how to do this, you can you can start out with even uh, a lower amount of a down payment than most, as I talked about in the last podcast.
So that was a surprise. And, and, and a final thought on real estate agents. I would say probably 99% of them do not understand um, when you ask a question about a property that's a duplex, a triplex, or a fourplex. Because remember, we're talking about properties that generally banks considered re- consider residential that agents will list. So residential agents who will list single-family homes will also list a duplex because it's kind of in that middle area. Large investors or big investors won't buy them. REITs don't buy them because they're too small. And many other people won't buy them because they're into single-family houses to live in themselves. So in this case, it's very rare for you to find a real estate agent who understands the issue of cap rates and cash flow that you already know and also have a hard time explaining and providing the information you need to make a decision. That's our show for this week. Um, I am uh, working on a number of guests, and I'll announce them as they come forth. There seems like there's so much I want to talk about with with the book and the different aspects of the book to help you get to your uh, financial life. Please remember that saving, I want you to try that today if you're not already doing it. And remember when we talk about the automatic savings or without even thinking about it, having that money taken out of your account and put into a savings account for you to invest, that doesn't include retirement because I consider retirement a necessity. You're going to have to put other monies aside for retirement and then take money out for investing. I'm Dr. Henry Joseph Sveck for shrink money advice. I look forward to talking with you again next time. Have an amazing, profitable day. You have been listening to the Shrink Money Advice podcast with Dr. Henry Joseph Speck. Remember to pick up your copy of Dr. Speck's latest book, Shrink Money Advice, on Amazon.ca or the audio version at awesound.com. That's A-W-E sound.com. 